Chris, I rolled a six. Andy, the topic we will be discussing today is how do you set the atmosphere at the table? How do you get away from the default of adventure slapstick? Oh my, okay. Yes, and this topic was added by Matt Wilson back in episode three, and I've been wanting to talk about it since episode three. Chris, that was like a year ago. It was. Uh, it was legitimately Possibly a over a year. That's a little disturbing. Yeah. Okay, well, Matt, we finally got to your topic. Hello, and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about topics related to running role-playing games. I'm Chris Salzman. I'm Andy Rao. Yeah, and uh, no guests this week, um, but we are going to discuss this topic with the the best of what we can do <laughs> about it. But before we get too far into it, Andy, um, so on, on one of our group chats, we've been talking about these uh, this little, latest Kickstarter from Monty Cook Games um, yes. for a game that I'm just going to try to say this out loud. <laughs> Talus? Patalus? I've always said Tolus. Tolus. Uh, but okay. it's possible the correct pronunciation is like, you know, <laughs> yes. know something totally different. Yeah, and I know we, we actually had a conversation about this a month or so ago, and I've completely forgotten. Um, but it, it has one of those names, which is just like, it's super rad in like a, a 90s sort of way. <laughs> oh, then, yeah. Yeah. It can only be printed like on like a heavy metal album cover yeah. font. Like where it's yeah. all squiggly and spooky. Yes. Yeah. So, well, one of you listeners knows exactly how to pronounce it and is, is mad. But <laughs> yeah, there's a, the Kickstarter going right now, um, and it looks kind of impressive. So the, the, the tier where you get the printed materials looks like, I mean, it's something like a thousand pages worth of material. Yeah. You know, but it's $150. But, yeah. you know, for, say for the right person, it's worth it. But probably for everybody, it'd be worth it. <laughs> to have that that sort of thing in your your possession yeah i i have been anticipating this kickstarter because monty cook games has been promoting it over the Mm -hmm. past couple weeks and i was getting excited but i was but i just know based on past kickstarters monty cook games puts out great products that are super Mm -hmm. worth your money and they they charge for what they're worth and so (laughs) i nervously clicked over to the kickstarter this morning to see what the bad news was and it was Uh. It was pretty bad news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That said, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you are, if you can scrounge up the cash or you're a, just a money bags gamer, I guess, uh, <laughs> it's definitely, definitely worthwhile. Yeah. I mean, it looks great. I mean, like the PDF itself is, is 40 or so. And I, that is not to say that it is not worth every, every penny and probably not, not charging enough, <laughs> but it's just, it's a little bit rich for my blood, but this thing looks amazing too yeah. at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's this is probably a topic for another day, but I mean, like, there is something really intriguing about just kind of dropping the money on a, a gaming, like, the word that's been tossed around is like an artifact, right? Like a, a gaming artifact that you're really going to kind of love, put on the shelf, keep forever, your kids yeah. will probably, you know, throw it away when you die, but like, you know, it's, yeah, it's just kind of a cool thing to have. So Chris, does the idea of a giant tome appeal to you? Or are you a, like, if it could come in a pamphlet size, mm-hmm. I would buy it person? Oh, yeah. Like, the, the giant tome is, like, like categorically uninteresting to me. <laughs> to okay, have. yeah. Yeah, I think it's just, it's just the sort of thing where the detail would be really neat. But I think, yeah, I think having having all that information, I would just get paralyzed with, with making sure that I was getting it all right. 
right? Like if you're at the table and you're like, it's, it's bad enough that you have a bunch of rules and stuff, but I've also had like a, like a, you know, story Bible too, that I was having to look up everything in yeah. <laughs> that, that would not go well for me. Um, but I appreciate it. Do you like the idea of a mega campaign like that? That's got, you know, years worth of material in it? Or is that, is that not what you look for as a GM? Right now it isn't. Um, yeah, I could see that being different at a different stage in life, but yeah, just with, with everything else that I have going on, the the thought of doing a campaign for like signing up for a campaign that's going to be five years long (laughs) or longer (laughs) looking at the size of this book is just, it's not, not super compelling. I would rather do a bunch of like smaller, shorter things, which I guess, I mean, like you could do, right? Like it's a big city. You could have a bunch of little campaigns spread out throughout it too. Well, what about you? Are you like, if you could, if you pay for this and drop the money, like, would you just run this for the next decade? I don't think that I would. I love the idea of these giant campaign books and I've backed some Kickstarters, some RPG Kickstarters mm-hmm. that have produced some and they're awesome artifacts. I love flipping through them. I love reading them, but mm-hmm. for whatever reason, I don't know. I do, I tend to get way more value out of like little thin, more sketchy, like mm-hmm. not sketchy in the sense of bad, but sketched out uh game products you know like so a 32 page adventure is something i will definitely run repeatedly you know a 600 mm-hmm. page tome i don't know there's something about going through that tome and then trying to pull out of it a 32 page adventure that i can actually wrap my head around um mm-hmm. so also as like a physical product i find that the physical quality of printing in rpg books varies all over the place And some of the big tomes I have have like the spine immediately breaks and, you know, pages fall out because it's too, you know, it's too heavy for the the binding. Like, and I, like Monty Cook is a company I would trust to do a big hefty tome and have it be solidly (laughs) put together. But, you know, I would hate to drop many dollars on a big book sight unseen. Uh, I'm I'm a little bit of a nerd when it comes to, I'm a little picky when it comes to kind of. I don't want pages fall, falling out of my books. Yeah, that is not a shock at all. You know, <laughs> yeah. given, you know, it's like the the bar gets set at a very certain place when you have to be able to say that you have a like a D and D podcast, right? So it's <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like I don't think I don't think anyone is going to scratch their head when it's also like, oh, he's a book binding too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yes, raise your hand if you're listening and you have researched like book binding, like how to repair an <laughs> yes. RPG book binding. Yeah. Yeah. Raise your hand if you've done it, right? It's like not even just research. <laughs> I work at a university and I have heard you can get books bound there, like mm. book bindings repaired there, but it is only shame that has kept me from walking in there with my <laughs> 600 page Rapan Athuk, like mega dungeon uh, book. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah, you'll get there eventually. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm just working my way towards up to it. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this so to me, this actually dovetails really nicely into our topic at hand, right? So, about setting the atmosphere at the table. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, like this book and others have a very particular like style to them when you're looking at it. I mean, you look at the cover of, of this thing and there's like a, you know, rad dragon thing you know metal death metal font all that sort of stuff right so like the 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 sort of the default right in matt's question of adventure slapstick 
really doesn't seem like it would fit mm. fit very well well with this. Yep. Um, so yeah, like maybe let's just start by talking a little bit about like the atmospheres you have been able to set at the table, um, and like which ones you feel like you were effective at doing. To be totally honest, uh, this is an interesting topic, and I I don't know what I'll have to contribute here because the tone of most of my games does fall in the adventure slapsticky zone mm-hmm. sometimes more and sometimes less and it sometimes amazes me that even a genre like call of cthulhu that is you know supposedly this kind of nihilistic horror where you can't win and you're just fighting to win earth another couple of years or something like that before it's inevitably overrun even those games get kind of slapsticky in play And Mm -hmm. I've been actually thinking about this more and more because I have been trying to listen to a lot more actual play podcasts of uh, different game systems that I would like to play, but I don't have an opportunity to do it. So I would like I'm trying to listen to people playing it to get a feel for it. And man, that adventure slapstick is everywhere. Um, Mm -hmm. It's jokey. It's just everything is really jokey. And I get it. It's super fun. And I often, you know, I'm laughing along with it, but. Sometimes I think, man, I would, can someone just play this straight or at least yeah. in the tone that the game, you know, calls for in its text? So mm-hmm. um, that's a really long winded answer to your question. I would say, honestly, though, most of my games are kind of that slight, somewhat jokey tone, even when the yeah. game setting itself is deadly serious. How, how about you? Yeah, I would say, I mean, certainly most we're all D that i play is definitely in that mode and i think that's primarily player driven but also just like i wouldn't really want to play like a gritty fantasy yeah. um in that in that system if i was going to do it I'd, you know choose something else um the the places where i've had some success at setting the tone in a different way have been like with indie games mm. so when i ran ran the quiet year you know the couple times that i i've played it that game just the way the rules are written and the way that you you can kind of set up the game it becomes very like contemplative um when you're playing it hmm. so when people are thinking about like what they're going to add to the story it's not like uh you know let's add zany jokes right it's a lot more like dramatic turns and things like that yep. so there's still definitely laughter at the table as you're as you're building the world but there's something about how the rules and the structure of that game represented that that really lends itself to a seriousness you know so it's interesting i've had the same experience like playing in like cthulhu mythos sort of games where like the subject matter matter is so dark but like you just constantly feel the need to break the tension or it's just you know people at the table you're just having fun fun like that but if you really just sit there and kind of dwell on what's actually happening it'd just be be terrifying right like yeah But yeah, like it does make me wonder, like especially as a player in those games, you know, sometimes I want that serious moment, you know, and so you can you can generate it a bit, but like then it always kind of ends up steering back towards, well, you know, let's make jokes, you know? yeah, because like you are hanging out with your friends. Still. Yeah, I would love to sit in, you know, somehow through the magic of time travel on some early D and D games, mm-hmm. and just get a sense for what the tone was of that. Has has that kind of adventure? jokey adventure been the default mode for Mm -hmm. everybody since the games rpgs were invented or is this a reflection of kind of modern humor sensibilities or Hmm. does DD play a different kind of role in the entertainment in our entertainment than it used to um i don't know yeah i would be interested to hear sometime Uh, but you know when i play at conventions and stuff like that it's not just like my table and your table where this happens Mm -hmm. you know in a a typical convention game i play at 
will have a lot of you know that that jokiness and you know yeah. i don't want this episode to be about like uh dissing that adventure slapstick because it's super fun and you know one of the yeah. reasons it happens all the time is because we all love to laugh and uh, it's a great way to spend an evening laughing with your friends but mm-hmm. i definitely there are times when you want to aim for something else so you asked me this question and i kind of skipped uh, answering it by babbling on have you <laughs> can you tell us about a specific game where you went for a, like an unusual tone like or a, just a really out of the ordinary thing you talked about the serious tone of a quiet year are there other mm-hmm. like moods that you've been able to evoke at the table have you ever created like a spooky uh environment yeah. for instance or played in a game that got one and it was genuinely spooky not and someone didn't immediately crack a joke and pull you <laughs> out yeah yeah i was trying to trying to remember that and i was thinking back to a halloween you know like a little halloween diversion that i did yep. a year or two ago or so so I, I actually made a haunted house for that right like so they they, they went through this this haunted house and i really tried to play with with like space you know spatial stuff in that and then also just with some descriptions and stuff to set sort of a, a spooky mood of dread or you know foreboding things like that and i think it kind of worked it did not it wasn't perfect, um, but, you know, it was kind of fun to play with some of those expectations. There was definitely some moments at the table where, like, players kind of stopped and were like, whoa, what is going on? Right? Like, and that's fun, I think, to to, to get people into that mode a little bit and just, like, it is going to be spooky, right? Like, your table's always going to fall back to joking around because they like each other, right? And that's what humans like to do, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, if they don't like each other, you know, or if they're, you know, professionals and, and you know professional game players or something like that i think they might be able to to, to break out of that as, as a habit but yeah i think like the most you can ever really really ask for is moments maybe um yeah. when you're yeah like moments of seriousness from from people i don't think i would play very many games if they were all serious yeah for, oh, for sure all the time yeah i can think of one game that has long stuck in my memory even though it was probably about 15 years ago that i ran it it was, just, it was a single game, and it was a one-on-one game with my wife of uh, Warhammer mm-hmm. Fantasy Roleplay. We were playing okay. the second yeah. edition of that, which had, was new at the time. And mm-hmm. that game, I still remember it vividly because that was a somber and somewhat melancholy game. And I, I oh. wish I knew a little bit more what I did to make that happen. Part of it yeah. must have been that I only had one player, and so there weren't lots of other people to kind of riff off of. But mm-hmm. that that game was somber, and there was an NPC that was teamed up with my wife's character throughout the game, and he ended up uh, he ended up dying through the you know bad rolls, and something about that it captured it like really captured a unique feel that I haven't I haven't seen somber very much in the last mm-hmm. decade or so of my gaming. So yeah, it might have simply been just that there was only one player. That might have just been that yeah. might have been the key right there, uh, because you are yeah. more able to control a mood when there's just you and one player, and you can. It's easier to mutually agree on what sort of feel you're and style you're going for. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I think the the agreement and kind of consent at the table too is is a part of this as well. So the the times that I've used uh, like really explicitly used the X card, mm. you know, or you know, like a variation on yeah. it that I do at the table, um, like that has been good for setting 
setting some expectations about sort of like what's what's okay yeah and it's not even really like a okay now we're gonna go around and say like what our line is it's more just you know making sure that the tool is available for folks i think makes them think through a little bit more of like what they're about to say and what they're going to do and like even if it never comes up right like even if no one ever has to has to play play the card do you ever do anything with the physical environment to kind of encourage a certain mood like a stereotype Mm -hmm. example might be dimming the lights to play a horror game or something yeah i would like to i've I've long had kind of a a desire to like you know write some music and like yeah set the lights to a certain certain mood you know like actually like write out like my own themes and stuff for you know stuff that's going to happen happen at the table i think it'd be really fun to do that but i just realized i don't i don't have time yeah (laughs) (laughs) time to invest too much into that um but i love it like i know like jess who's been on the podcast before a couple times like she's mentioned that she was um you know she has candles that she lights you know for each of the players you know at the table you know there's just some like little stuff that you can do like that which doesn't take a whole lot of time to set up it just takes a little bit of care to do that. I, I think it would be be fun to try and I just haven't done it or implemented it. Yeah. What about you? Have you, have you done anything like that? You know, nothing really springs to mind. I'm sure I've done mm-hmm. things like dimming the lights a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I have put background music on for games mm-hmm. occasionally, but it's not something I do in a typical, t- typical game, yeah. I guess. And I wouldn't say that I've ever, it's ever made a smashing difference in the tone of the table. Why, yeah. why do you think we talked you know, we mentioned a few minutes ago that, you know, people just love to joke and stuff like that. But the mm-hmm. literature that D&D and other entertainment types of entertainment that D&D is sort of channeling is not really slapsticky humor. So, you know, I think yeah. the Lord of the Rings, it has comic moments in it, but it, no one would say that it, it's a a jokey adventure, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, you know, yeah. this is, you know, name your favorite fantasy series that that we all are, you know, that you're subconsciously kind of channeling Game of Thrones mm-hmm. or Michael Moorcock or whatever. whatever. Why do you think we default to that jokiness when the genre doesn't really call for it? I think that really gets to the, the core of what this question is about. I think it's a really fair question to ask. And I really wonder if most of it is related to the fact that like, we're most of us aren't actors, right? Yeah. So we don't really have the skills to do much other than sort of interact in the ways that we know. So like, think about the classes you took in, in high school or college that like everybody had to take. So you might've taken a speech class and that's probably it as far as performance, unless you really specifically went for theater. Yeah. Um, right. Like, so like we know how to do that and no one really likes doing that, but everybody sort of enjoys and can figure out how to make their friends laugh. Right. So that's, that's sort of like the mode that is pretty easy to slip into. I think if like we were all thespians, right. Like we could, you know, sit down at the table and like really make something happen, happen there. Um, but yeah, like I just, I mean, that's a lot to ask from everybody to be able to, to like deliver a serious monologue or to cry and command or, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever you want to, to have happen at the table. Like when we all understand how to laugh. Do you find that the jokiness chain levels change to, but, but based on whether the character or the player is a newbie or a really experienced player? What I'm playing with in my brain is this idea mm-hmm. that being jokey is kind of a way of deflecting some of our feeling of awkwardness, mm-hmm. uh, a performative awkwardness. Because, you know, mm-hmm. like you said, most of us are not trained thespians. And so we are always, you're always putting yourself out there a little bit when you're doing something. And I, I think for me personally, you know, the idea, I, I remember 
at a convention game of uh, of riffs uh, for, of all things. Um, yeah, at, there was a point where my my character was killed in kind of the climactic thing, and the GM turned to me and said, "Okay, you know, make your death speech." And oh. it was a really it really put me on the spot, and I felt super awkward. And then all yeah. eyes were on me and I was, you know, racking my brain. What are some, you know, epic words that, you know, I could say. And I want that's maybe a, an extreme that doesn't come up too often at the table that you're writing a death speech. But anytime <laughs> you're called to kind of be serious, I think that's an mm-hmm. awkward thing because we all know that it could come out really dumb or, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even though it won't, we yeah. all have that fear that we're going to sound like idiots trying to pretend yeah. to be sad or somber or scared or something. Yeah. yeah it's like, what, where they're going to kick you out of the table. Like, right. Not that big of a deal. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah. the, the easiest way to deflect awkwardness is to, you know, crack a joke or and even at your own expense. So mm-hmm. that's a really long winded way of asking. Do you see that the players who've been doing this forever and are natural role players, are mm-hmm. they better at keeping in mood or do they crack snarky jokes as much as everybody else? I think the the more experienced players that I've played with have a confidence about their character choices that lets them not have to be the one cracking jokes all the time. Mm-hmm. Like the first time that you play, you don't really have you don't really know where things are gonna go. So it's 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 hard to really have an idea of like, okay, my character is gonna start at this place and then I want maybe some of these things to happen and like this is this is gonna be a little bit of the arc, you know, maybe you don't have it totally planned out, but you know, setting your, your character on a trajectory, right? Like I think if you haven't really played a longer campaign, you don't know what that's gonna be like. So it's easier to make character choices that are just sort of, you know, funny in the moment. Yeah. Um, like that, uh, because you don't know who the character is. Um yeah, and I think like as campaigns go on, I think the you know, and people get to know know who they're playing. I think the the seriousness can come out um, here and there. Just shifting gears a little bit, like I think the the GM has some responsibility. Yeah, has some responsibility for setting the tone, right? Everybody has equal parts, you know, responsibility at the table, right? Like I don't think the GM is the one that's in charge of all the fun at the table or anything like right. that. But I think like you are when you're the one that's you know nominally guiding the world or the story. A little bit. It's up to you to ask sort of the right questions. Um, so, yeah, thinking about this, like another time that I've we've been able to hit kind of a different atmosphere at the table was when I did ask like a really personal questions about a character. Mm. I did this a couple times, and it's something that I like really adore and want to get back to. You know, they're sitting around the campfire. And it's just like you have to tell me about the first time you like went hunting or something mm. like that. Like. You know, something that's not like a, you know, tell me the first time you got in a bar fight. It's like, tell me the first time that like your, your parents took you, you know, out somewhere, right? Like something where they're, you know, a character is going to have to make, or a player is going to have to make a couple decisions about a character and maybe tell a little bit of a story about their, about their character um, and how they might've just interacted in, in a pretty basic setting where there really isn't a chance for a lot of comedy. Cause it might've just been like a, just a little scene from their lives. Yeah. Yeah, and so like that was actually pretty effective, and it did lead to a few moments where it's like, uh, "What's going on? Like, this is maybe you know not going anywhere." And then a couple, you know, but then it would go somewhere, and it's like, "Oh, that was a really cool character moment," <laughs> you know, that we just had from this dwarf who was just you know previously joking about getting drunk all the time, right? Like, and it's, you know, <laughs> yeah, you get these these kind of these neat moments. Um, but yeah, but if you don't make any space for that at the table, it's never going to happen. No, I think that's a really good point. You mentioned earlier that you have 
been able to hit kind of that slightly more serious or more genre appropriate mood with some of the indie games that you've run. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if some of that is because a lot of indie-ish games and games on sort of the storyteller-ish end of the spectrum, the game play is a little bit more prescribed for you. Um, mm-hmm. It's not quite as free for all as, say, D&D can be. Um, you know, in a game where you're limited in the very specific moves you can do or the very specific ways you can react to a situation, games where the, the game mechanically models more of the emotional type responses that in a game like D&D are left up to you, the player, to role play out. I wonder if those take some of the burden of playing through, you know, potentially awkward scenes and make it easier not to be jokey. Um, does that yeah. make any sense? No, it totally does. A couple of weekends ago, um, I went to an art museum with Kyle Latino and a couple other friends. So Kyle's been a guest before. Yeah, so we went to an art museum and Kyle had us play this game called, um, I'm going to get it here, See, Feel, and Wonder, a game of aesthetic attunement. But the whole concept behind it is it gives you a framework for talking about a painting with a group of people. So you start off by saying, like, I see something in the painting. It makes me feel this, that, or the other. And it makes me wonder about you know, something, right? Like, so there's no real right answers to it. But the framework for the questions puts you in a certain mode of of interacting with the art. And I think that's important to do. Otherwise, you're just going to go like, look like, oh, like, what's the coolest art, you know, (laughs) that I see? Or you're like, I want to go... Check out the armor because you know, <laughs> whatever. Does this museum have katanas? Uh, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. I need to see the the samurai swords. <laughs> Kyle's writing those rules from uh, very much like an indie game tradition, right? Like, if you will, as much as there's a tradition to this, but it is those like really direct emotional questions about something that would be open ended otherwise. And I think you're really right to point that out that indie games can do this particularly well, where you you really focus in on sort of walking through a scenario or walking through kind of a series of questions that's game-like in a sense, but um, gives you kind of a very emotional reason. That art game sounds great. I I want to steal that just for my next family visit to a museum. Oh, yeah. It sounds really fun. Yeah, like we'll link to it in the show notes and stuff, but I would really, I would highly recommend it and especially do it with people that you think wouldn't enjoy it, if that makes sense. Huh. Like people who wouldn't normally go to an art museum Make them do this and you'll be kind of surprised at their their answers to it. All right. Well, we'll check for that in the show notes. So Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So gamify your art museum going, I guess, <laughs> if you want a different different atmosphere. <laughs> okay. So what atmosphere, if you could pull it off, would you want to pull off at the table? Something I'd love to run is a fantasy game that captures the sort of intense desperation that you get in the more exciting moments of, say, the Lord of the Rings movies. Mm, Uh, A game where it's desperate and it's intense and it doesn't look good. And, Mm -hmm. you you know, the characters all have to show steely resolve, you know, fierce determination to get through um, a puzzle. Mm -hmm. And no one is going to joke about the fact that the enemy wizard is bald or something like that, you know. Yeah. So if if yeah. I could run a game like that, and and to be sure, I have played and run and played in D and D games that stepped into this, you know, for for mm-hmm. a time or for for encounters here and there, but it's never been a consistent tone throughout. But I think that would be be really fun to have everybody just naturally on board with that, canning it on the jokes, you know, except in very limited. Okay, now is a time when we can all joke around. 
And now, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. How would you answer that question? Like, I love the the Final Fantasy series of video games. Mm, yep. Um, despite the fact that they're like they're not amazing, but right, it's just sort of what I grew up yeah. on. But I would love to, and I don't even know if we've talked about this on the show. I know you and I have talked about this before. Like, I would love to find a way to run, run like a way too self serious game. Oh, yes. Which is also just like this wacky, <laughs> like overpowered fantasy. Yes. At the same time, because like by the end of most Final Fantasy games, like you're summoning gods to kill any enemy in your path, you know, while you're still like complaining about like, I don't know if she has a crush on me or not. (laughs) Right. It's like (laughs) like that, that sort of (laughs) emotional. That is such like a a magical thing that those games do so well. That's so weird. It's so weird. Oh, like, but yeah, yeah, it's a it's a beautiful thing to play through. Yeah, so like I don't I don't even know if it would work, but I think it would just be really fun to to be able to kind of play with that that like huge variance in power level and then also just the like we are going to be super serious about like this, you know, <laughs> this emotionally stunted, you know, 18-year-old, yeah. <laughs> right? Like yeah, at the same time. But yeah, I don't it know. It sounds like you need to bolt the world's crunchiest, most detailed like combat and upgrades system. With the most indie, like, emotional mechanics, like, navigating high school crushes, social mechanics. You need to wed those two (laughs) together and release it. And I think you'd be on the right track. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, GURPS plus um, Apocalypse World would be. (laughs) Yeah. It's what everybody needs. Have you ever actually thought about trying to run that? Or is it just an idle thought experiment? It's it's an idle thought experiment. I I can't imagine ever finding the right group for it. And I don't even know if I'd be the right GM for it. Yeah. To be honest. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't even know what that what that game is. I bet you know there there is some group that can do it and I just want it to exist in the world. You know, not to get too sidetracked, but I actually do feel like mm-hmm. that is a genre that has not really been well represented in tabletop rpgs perhaps because it Mm -hmm. is is such a strange combination of different of divergent themes Mm -hmm. and ideas okay well chris you now have your life goal and that is to produce the game we just described part of the the magic to me of those games is just the ridiculous numbers right like you know it's like the numbers go up into the thousands and tens of thousands and stuff stuff like that even though i mean really it's like you're just scaling I hit the enemy four times, yeah. right? Like, and then it dies like, <laughs> yeah, over and over. Exactly. But just the numbers keep ticking up, you know, like you have to keep ticking up too. But like, there's something like the progression is fun. Yep. I think like levels in, in D and D and Pathfinder and stuff are so like, it, it takes so much work to get them. Whereas in those like, you know, video game RPGs, it's just very much like a, well, you just get them whenever you want. <laughs> you can just have as many as you want. Yeah. They, the power level escalates with the escalation of the story, you know, as the story mm-hmm. ascends into the ridiculous and, you know, like these yeah. games all end with you killing God or something like that, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. The characters just level exponentially as the story mm-hmm. scales up. Yeah. And I, like, and even most of them end with some sort of, you know, ultimate power that you never know inside <laughs> yes. of you. <laughs> Destroy, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I mean, there's just something, there's something that would be 
I think, fun about that. And then there's also the mechanic in those of death is not the final mm. thing, right? Like, you very much, like, you can die and kind of restart and stuff. So, like, there's there's a, a hundred design problems with translating <laughs> Final Fantasy into a tabletop setting. Yeah. I'm sure a bunch of people have tried it. Goodness knows I would have tried it at 18 if I was into d Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you would have a 250-page, you know, manuscript yeah. of your house rules to D&D to make that yes. happen, yes. Yes, please, please kickstart my... <laughs> Um, all right well i think we have exhausted this question somewhat it's a really good question and it's one that like this is one of those ones where i wish we could we might just kind of re-ask it to other people yeah so i think um everybody has kind of pieces of the answer to this um certainly we don't have the full answer yeah we should uh Um, we should uh, start putting guests on the spot and asking them for their hot take on past questions that we found interesting enough you know uh, yeah so because that yeah, is often the case. We discuss around. a question and it's like, I, it was so fun discussing that. But I would also like to hear what guest X, Y, or Z has to say about yeah. this. So, okay. Well, yeah. we'll figure something <laughs> out. To... All right. Well, um, thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Yeah. We uh, have a couple of guests lined up still, you know, in the next month or two, I think. So that'll be a nice change of pace. Um, I'm going to have a kid coming pretty soon. So we'll see what ha- what's going to happen there. Congratulations. Um, but if you thanks yeah so end of may um i don't know maybe we'll uh republish some old podcasts or we might just go dark for a month or two <laughs> i don't know <laughs> we'll figure out um but yeah as always right you know please let us know if you have any feedback if there's anyone else that you think should be on the podcast um, we would love to have them too yeah for but, sure well i've been chris Salzman. i have been andy Rowe. and remember if your players are having fun you're a great gm 